here is the situation, folks. Buckle up. It's your lucky day because we have another drive through conversation, and this person is pretty cool. You should be excited. But now I'm going to throw it to Kate to introduce our guest. Take it away, Kate. Nicola Hamilton is a multidisciplinary designer based in Toronto, Canada. The majority of her career has been focused on editorial design and art direction. She's obsessed with magazines, so much so that she opened issues an independent magazine retailer. Her work has been internationally recognized by the DNAD, the Society of Publication Designers, and the National Magazine Awards, among others. Nicola is the co-founder of The Scaries Project, an artistic exploration of the emotional realities of being creative, a part-time design educator at Humber College and George Brown College, an occasional speaker and artist, and a certified RGD, that's a registered graphic designer, and the current RGD president. Her shop Issues is a magazine shop that carries hard to find independent magazines from around the world. They celebrate the people and projects keeping print alive. We are so excited to have her on our podcast today. Thank you, Nicola, for coming. Mm-hmm. Thank for you. Me. Um, so I want to start by asking, how was it having three random people walk into your shop and ask you to be on a podcast? Because it was spur of the moment, but it was also like, I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to ask her. It wasn't the weirdest thing that's happened in the shop or like the weirdest media inquiry. I had someone come in, chat with me for about 30 seconds, turn around to leave, come back and say, hey, I film stuff for Instagram. Can I film you? And I was like, (laughs) right now? I was like, yes, right now. And I was like, okay. I wasn't even supposed to be in the shop that day. Like I just came to drop something off. I'm wearing sweatpants, you know? (laughs) I was like, yeah, I guess. Sure. So that's so nice. So you, you'll say yes to most inquiries. (laughs) Not that I don't want you to feel special. (laughs) No, I did. I did. Um, yeah, I just, for our listeners, we were doing like a brainstorming afternoon for a newsletter. And I was very excited about your shop. I'm recommending it in this um, issue of our upcoming newsletter. Mm-hmm. And um, we walked in and yeah, and I just approached you to come on the podcast. So I think you were there the last week that I was there consistently. So you've hired people. Yeah. Nice. I have Congratulations. Two, thanks. I have two incredible part-time staffers. Um, Sabrina, who just finished photography school at Sheridan. So she's a photographer, freelance photographer, and then works at the shop a couple days a week. And Mitchell's a freelance illustrator who Amazing. works at the shop a couple days a week. And I feel so lucky to have them. Yeah. They're just, I scored the employee jackpot with them. I feel like um, a shop like yours would sort of draw in the right kind of person, like uh, sort of you would hope. I would hope. And I think, you know, my sort of dream for the shop is that all of the staff, the people that work for us come from sort of different, come to magazines from a different angle. Right. And so that's what's really cool about Sabrina and Mitchell too, right? I come from a design background, um, Mitchell from illustration and Sabrina from photography. So we appreciate different things about the publications we sell. Right. I, I do like that about, yeah, forming a group with different backgrounds. It I, you know, I think that's why I like parking lot because we're yeah, this funny go. little collaboration. <laughs> yeah. Um, so before we get into the shop, which is what I do want to talk to you about, I wanted to start off sort of early career, like even high school. What were you like in high school? What were, did you always know you wanted to get into graphic design? In high school, I definitely knew. Um, I was 
I'm an Aries, so I'm got it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> That's what you need. Uh, Libra rising. It softens the edges. But um, so in high school, I was really good at school in general. So right. um, I actually found the arts more challenging, which made me like them more. Oh, really? Yeah. So like analytical thinking came very easy to you? That kind of thing? Yeah, till about grade 11. And then the math and the science started to get like challenging. And I was not used to that, nor interested in it enough. (laughs) I dropped math in grade 11, like instantly. I was like, no, no, that's not for me. Yeah, I tried it. And by grade 12, I was like, no, it's a it's an arts path. (laughs) Yeah. It's not so much a choice as a decision made for you. Yeah. Um, So I, I knew... I knew by the time it came to apply to school that that's where I wanted, where what I wanted to focus on. Um, and that graphic design specifically? Yeah, graphic design specifically. You know, that was the early 2000s. So graphic right. design was the way you made money off of your art. I don't know if that was your experience, Elliot. Um, I don't really have any like actual uh, background, like fundamental training in graphic design. It was something I took, I had one class in high school and I was like, this is super cool. But then like the practical part of my brain was like, you can't go into this for work. You have to be, become an architect. Cause like they have jobs and like, they actually like do whatever. There's a career path for you that way. Right. So design was my version of an architect. I guess yeah. I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I can make money doing that. Um, but I actually, uh, because I was good at school, a guidance counselor, like steered me specifically towards university options. Um, and I actually didn't get into any of the university design programs that I applied for. Yeah. So my first year I ended up taking an alternate acceptance at York university for a program that doesn't exist anymore called fine arts and cultural studies. And so it was really like, yeah, the integration of art and culture, Yeah, which was really cool, but not what I wanted to do. Mm. So, so you just had to wait that out for a year and then sort of get back on your path. Yeah. And at that point I realized I didn't like living outside of the downtown core. So I actually switched and went to Humber college for my design education. Wow. So did you, you moved into the city for post-grad or for post-secondary? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Wow. That's exciting. Was that, how did that feel? Because you're from a small town, you were saying earlier. Yeah, I'm from a really small town, um, Orno, Ontario. Shout out to Orno. Orno, yeah. Toronto I, without the T's. People call it or- <laughs> porno without the P. Uh, the like welcome to Orno sign gets vandalized pretty regularly. <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> Orno's waiting. If to, only they knew when they named yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I grew up in a small town, but it was only an hour from the city. And and before my family sort of settled there, we we moved a lot. So we've lived in in and around the GTA before I was eight. And then we lived overseas for a bit as well. So I've always had a, a connection to Toronto. Right. And it was obvious to me that living in a city was was my beat. Right. Um. So during that time, what kind of classes once you got into graphic design, um, what were your classes like and what were you inspired by anything specifically during that period? I don't remember being super inspired by anything besides my peers around me. So, mm. you know, college is this university college, whichever is this incredible moment where all of a sudden you're surrounded by people who have very different experiences than you. Yeah. And living in a small town, we all had the exact same experience mm. or very, very similar. And it's a small town. So, you know, everybody's story all the time. Right. Um, and so I think inspired by the people around me for sure. And it wasn't until about my third year, my, my second last semester that I really sort of 
found my stride, found my genre of design. Um, and it was when I took my first editorial design class. Oh, wow. Yeah. What was, uh, what was it about the editorial design class? For me, editorial design, magazine design, um, is sort of the space where you have to bring all of these different skill sets together. So it's composition, it's grid structure, there's technical skill involved, it's heavy, heavy on the typography. And then on top of that, you're collaborating with photographers, illustrators, writers, there's Mm. something to to learn every single time, like another topic to, yeah. to deep dive on that you maybe never thought you would. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it makes sense that that would be the spark that starts everything considering you now own a magazine shop. Well, it's that funny thing where careers don't really make sense until they're in the rearview mirror. Right. right? So yeah. like that all adds up. Yeah. Yeah. So were you making any of your own magazines at that point, like a zine or anything? I have never made my own magazine. That's shocking. Isn't it? Not even a zine. Not even a zine. <laughs> Not even a zine. Wow. <laughs> you do have a newsletter, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. signed up for it today, actually. Oh, that means I should write one soon, hey? <laughs> Please. <laughs> I'm eagerly awaiting. <laughs> because that's not my skill set, like writing is not mm-hmm. my skill set. And because I'm surrounded by such incredible writers all the time, yeah. I find writing newsletters to be very challenging. Right. I feel the same. So do we. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's waiting on an article from me right now as we speak. <laughs> I what? just haven't finished. <laughs> um. So what were you making in the editorial class? Were, was there a final product or were you just learning skills? Yeah, I mean, we're making a fake magazine using okay. found photography um, and sort of designing it and starting to learn those skills. Um, I actually show my graduating portfolio to students pretty regularly, like unedited, which right. is such a strange and vulnerable experiment. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't dislike what I did in that initial editorial class. That's amazing. That's like Isn't a huge it? thing to be able to walk away from that and still reflect on it and be proud of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like, huge. I mean, I would change things. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, no, it's perfect. <laughs> but it represents what you were interested in, in, in the, at that time. Yeah. And I think, you know, thinking about how much I actually knew at that moment and how much experience I had, it still feels mm-hmm. like a solid accomplishment. That I, the stuff I made during school, I look back on it now with, and I, I yeah, can't shiver. even open it. Yeah, I can't look <laughs> at it. It's truly. You uh, forgot all the passwords. Yeah, yeah that's I need what it to. Is. Yeah, I need to like find some. I don't know grace confidence. in looking back. <laughs> yeah, confidence. That's yeah. the word. <laughs> um. So then, can you talk about sort of how you launched your career then uh, coming out of school in graphic design? Yeah. So I graduated from Humber College's three-year graphic design program in 2011. Um, and part of Humber's graphic design program still to this day has an internship component. So you're supposed to do a four-week internship. They're largely unpaid. The school obviously doesn't dictate paid or unpaid, but the industry largely still is full of unpaid internships. Um, so I did my unpaid internship at a studio called Underline Studio. At the time, they were at, they were right downtown on Queen Street, just off of Queen, kind of near the Black Bull, whatever that street yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, Soho. Yeah, yeah, they were on Soho at the time. Um, tiny studio, but they were doing a ton of editorial design work. So it was like my number one pick for an internship. I was so thrilled to get to work there. One of the founders is a woman. That was important to me. Um, and it was a really incredible, incredible four week learning experience. And then, uh, you know, as internships go, there aren't actually jobs post internship. Right. Yeah. Um, 
it's a studio at the time it was a studio of about five people. So there's only openings when someone else moves on. Right. right. Um, and, uh, then I spent that summer traveling. I came back and I started reaching out to folks about freelancing or just letting people know like, Hey, I'm here. Can I, can I talk to you? Can I show you my portfolio? Can I hear a little bit about your career trajectory? Cause I think, you know, one of the things that we don't teach necessarily in art school specifically is sort of how you get to that first gig. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Very much. So I graduated school and just like flailed around for two years. Yeah. Not knowing what to do or what the first step was. Yeah. And even understanding that the first step sometimes is piecemeal freelance here and there yeah. and picking up projects that are interesting yeah. so you can grow your network and your skill set. Yeah. Um, and so one of one of the emails I sent was to Concrete, which is a larger design studio, sort of medium sized design studio also here in Toronto. And um, I had interviewed for an internship position at Concrete and lost out to my school bestie. Oh, oh she got it. I didn't, which was fine. I got my first pick. You're happy um, for her. I understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so she was actually doing the internship when I sent this email. And um, she's the same person I went and traveled with before that. <laughs> you know. and, uh, and she still works in magazines, too. Um, but. Uh, I sent this email and they were, they wrote back immediately and they were like, Hey, we actually had an intern drop out. It's not freelance work. It's not paid, but, but do you want to come do this internship? And I sort of looked around, I was like, well, what else am I doing? Mm. So I went into that and that was more of a traditional graphic design experience. So they were working for mostly for brand clients at that point, doing brand collateral rebrands. Um, and it was a bigger team. And so I got to learn a lot about those things. And it really just solidified how much I wanted to make magazines. Like I missed that part. Right. Um, but I did get my first real career champion out of it. I don't know. So like the first. Like a mentor? Less of a mentor and more somebody who, you know, we don't see each other super often. We're not in constant communication, but somebody who early in my career sort of saw what I was interested in and what I was good at and what I was sort of scared of Yeah, and said, you can absolutely work in the magazine industry. Here is everybody I know who's been there or done it. Oh my wow. Gosh, that's that's incredible. incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And still somebody who, you know, when we cross paths, I get a little emotional because mm-hmm. I think that was such a big thing for me at that time. Yeah. And I'm sure for him, it was nothing. But it's like at that time where you're finding your feet and you don't even know if you belong. It's like having somebody recognize you and be like, you should be here. And here's how I'm going to make sure you stay. Yeah. That's so incredible. Mm-hmm. So valuable. Um, and then I remember actually um, seeing him shortly after I maybe I'd been at my first design job, my first magazine job for maybe six months. And I saw him in an event and he was like, the magazine you're working on is incredible. It's so good. Wow. The whole studio is so excited about it. And that meant a lot too. Yeah. 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 So cool. Um, I think everyone needs that person. And mm-hmm. I don't, I wonder the like pay it forward method. If, if people have a certain career moment, think to do that, like I think it's find like, someone and pull them up. It's like love when you know, you know, you know, you're just, it's time and place. You're in a room, sparks fly. You're like, this is, well, I understand now. They probably see a little bit of themselves in yeah, that person exactly. as well, right? And they're like, I remember being in this scenario when I yeah. was however old and just maybe I'll give them a little bit of a break here, right? Yeah. I think it goes a long way. Yeah. I teach design now to sort of first year students and third year students. And yeah, I think you're right. I think that I think that when you have a connection to somebody, however that connection comes about, you mm-hmm. you want to help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. It feels natural. Yeah. It feels yeah. like you want to. It's not like you're checking off like a moral box of, oh, I should probably do this now. It's my time. I mean, I think there's totally a place for formal mentorship like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think some of those small acts actually probably have more meaning in the long term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Uh, what was that magazine you were working on that you were so excited about? Okay. So my very first magazine job, um, still my best job ever to this day, wow. um, was called The Grid. I don't know if you lived in the city and were like very, I guess, aware of publishing. The grid was an alt. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fair. It was a little blip in Toronto publishing. So um, the grid was a city weekly, so not dissimilar to Now magazine. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, it was distributed on the street in in free newspaper boxes. I mean, it sounds familiar. I'm, I'm sure I walked by it. Probably. So from 2011 to 2014, The Grid was this incredible free city weekly. It was geared towards folks in their late 20s, mostly folks in their 30s and 40s. And so it sort of filled this void where Now Magazine was like really scruffy Um, and, you know, free. And it was talking more to the folks that were sort of entering their late 20s, had their first job, were starting to build a little bit of money and wanted to Mm -hmm. do different things around the city. Um heavily engaged in city politics, um, heavily engaged in the restaurant industry, restaurant scene here in Toronto. And the 2011, you might remember is like the sort of beginning of Toronto as a food city. I I believe you. I don't know if I would have known that. I think in grade 11, (laughs) I was like me, like I was still in high school. I'm going to pizza pizza for lunch. Were you in grade 11? Yeah, I would have been in grade 11 in in 2011. Wow, I'm so old. No, good for you. (laughs) I I could not read, so I I didn't read that. (laughs) It was the beginning of like, um, like Manny Matheson was just getting a start. The Sam James Coffee Bar was just opening. Jen Egg was just sort of starting to open her own restaurants. Right. Um, it was the era of the Black Hoof, which sort of kicked off right. a mm-hmm. good chunk of the food scene here. Um, so it was this like really interesting moment. And um, so the grid was owned by the Toronto Star and it rose from the ashes of iWeekly. So oh, I remember closed- iWeekly. Okay. So they closed iWeekly right. and they relaunched this whole new brand called The Grid. That sounds um, incredible. And so you were doing design for them. Yeah. So I, in, in my traipsing around the city with like a physical portfolio, because that's how old I am. Um, one of the people I reached out to was Vanessa Wise, who was the founding creative director of the grid and also like the most important mentor in my career so far. Mm. Uh, I reached out to Vanessa. I went in and, and met with her just to have her review my portfolio and to talk a bit about the magazine industry. She'd worked for a couple titles here in Toronto already and had worked for some other titles, um, in Australia where she's from before she came to Toronto. And um, we had the best conversation. I think we talked for like two hours. Wow. I remember leaving and I was like, why'd she give me so much time? Like, why <laughs> yeah. did she tell me to leave? Um, and uh, and she emailed and said, hey, I have someone going on um, vacation for a couple of weeks. It was a weekly title. So them being down an art person for two weeks was a critical. Yeah. Um, can you come in and freelance? And I said, sure. I don't think I even asked her how much it paid. Yeah. Like, I think I was just like, yes. <laughs> Of course, I'll be there. Yeah. Um, But because it was a weekly, it meant I got to see two issues all the way through and like got my name in print for the first time. Wow. What a good feeling. Yeah, it was. And that was such an incredible career. So the team was like maybe 30 people at its height. Everyone was under, I don't know, like 35 at the time. Everyone was super young. Um, We like they built this 
environment of risk-taking. So like the silliest, most self-indulgent ideas were things you could absolutely pitch and investigate. Oh, we once painted, you know, Russell Oliver, the cash man. Yes. Okay. So he was retiring. So the story was called Russell Oliver's golden years. We painted him head to toe gold and put him in a painted gold tracksuit. Oh my God. Yeah. So like silly, silly indulgent stuff. I'm pretty jealous of this, of what you're describing. It sounds like the best. I can't believe he agreed to that. (laughs) He was a cash man. Excited because he'd been painted silver before for that. Bringing your silver, silver, but he'd never been painted gold. So this was a new frontier for him. Yeah. So were you like sitting in a room pitching ideas? Yeah. Oh God, that's my dream. That was one of the coolest parts about it was that even the art department was invited to the story meetings, right? So we got to pitch ideas to the publication too. I mean, often we were pitching art ideas that piggybacked on editorial ideas that had been pitched by someone else, but, but still, um, and the publication had this like incredible international following. So it had a pretty devout following here in the city. Um, and then we won a ton of international design awards, So we got to, Vanessa got to travel and talk about the grid, which was really cool. And we sort of got to develop these international friendships with folks who make other publications elsewhere in the world. So the Washington Post, National Geographic, The Guardian in the UK. Yeah. And so you stayed on after this like two week intensive? Oh yeah, right. That's where (laughs) we just (laughs) dove in. Um, Yeah, I did two weeks and then, and then that was it. And I went, I went home and I, you know, stressed out about not having a job. Yeah. Um, and, uh, maybe a month later, Vanessa sent me an email and said, Hey, can you meet me for breakfast? Um, I said, sure. Of course. Again, not asking like why? <laughs> Just, yes. Breakfast means you got the job. Lunch means we're talking about it. And dinner means you're, you're on your way out. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm not sure I knew that. <laughs> you should write that down. That's helpful to know. <laughs> and, and so they had an opening. So I joined in, uh, November officially. I did my freelance in October, um, in November of 2011. So graduated in April, sort of like a six month traipsing around talking to as many people as I could buying folks so many coffees so I could ask them nosy questions. Right. Mm. Um, yeah. And then I was at the grid as their designer for a couple of years, their associate art director, like as someone else moved on to something else. Um, I got a promotion and then in 2014 we went into an all staff meeting and the publisher said, that was it. You just shipped your last issue. So we cried together. We smoked together. We drank together. And uh, then we were all unemployed. Oh Oh my God. It's a fascinating experience. In that moment, you're really sort of angry and, and sad. Having it happen to everybody all at once is interesting. Mm -hmm. And in hindsight, again, like careers only make sense in your rear view mirror, like later, which is a funny pun for, uh, for our parking lot podcast yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a slogan now it kind of gives it more of like a punk rock style legacy though right totally it shut down it yeah. just went that's away true. yeah and i mean even like if you go look at the grid's twitter i think the last time we tweeted was the day we closed and it was just this goodbye illustration that our designer at the time leandra Sancy, had doodled in the meeting like yeah. she was like what do we do mm-hmm. um but it also meant that everybody left that job at the height of their career. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. was kind of cool. Like they probably could have given us another year, but the product would have looked a lot different. Right. Right. And people would have slowly started leaving because it wasn't 
the thing that we had agreed to put out. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was kind of put down before it could dissolve anyway. I think so. I mean, I don't know that because I wasn't Mm -hmm. in the room for those business meetings. But in hindsight, that's how it feels. And I think it's a business decision that I think will stay with me for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, they just weren't making enough money on advertising. Is that... We were trying a lot of sort of money making things. That was not my, obviously not my Right. Department. I was going to say this is, uh, yeah. We were trying a lot of stuff and I think none of them sort of took. And it was at this moment where, um, I think, I think we were a couple of years ahead of ourselves. Right. right. Like I think we were doing things that a lot of publications are doing really successfully now. Mm-hmm. What kind of things? So events as a money generating option, right? So think about Toronto Life. Like they made yeah. a good chunk of their money. I think again, not in those conversations, but from from big, big splashy events. Yeah. The walrus, I feel like. The walrus from their talks. Yeah. Um the walrus is set up on a foundation model now. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize that. Okay. Um Inuit Art Quarterly is set up on a foundation model too. So folks actually donate money mm-hmm. to those things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um so we were doing events like uh, like Toronto Cocktail Week was started by the grid originally. Oh, Toronto wow. Burger Week was started by the grid originally. Wow. All these things that blog TO just <laughs> and spit out as their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, blog TO is kind of just a baby. Like they were our competition at the time, but they were not the sort of. Mm-hmm. And they picked up a lot of what you guys were putting out. Um, nobody picked up as much of it as I thought they probably could could have right right like I was surprised like we're doing a lot of great things you should take it we're gone <laughs> yeah, yeah take yeah, this yeah. stuff yeah why not it feels like the other thing that kind of you guys were ahead of your time is it sounds like you were making so much content that would have been shareable like it would have been so great to like tweet these doodles or whatever which you twitter was around but I don't think people were interacting no, on the tiktok <clears throat> yeah, instagram with social age, media that like kind the, of stuff the way that we are now that I think like in this environment that would have absolutely thrived it, it did thrive but like more so yeah it might have I mean we were not in the era of those social media companies paying publications yeah. to make that kind of content yet right, right? Yeah. so we were doing it I mean my first Instagram post was at the grid office like that's that's when we yeah. that's when it happened that, and that it was had the eight filters on it and oh it was God. vignetted and it was the yeah. caption was a hashtag <laughs> yes Blessed. actually I don't know that I even understood hashtags enough at that time <laughs> mm-hmm. you might not even have been able to put them on Instagram yet <laughs> pretty hashtag yeah, yeah. wow <laughs> yeah yeah we had a pretty active Twitter following for sure um, but Facebook, Instagram, TikTok wasn't around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it would have been interesting to see. It's not, you're describing like a, a glory area of Toronto publishing, it sounds like to mm-hmm. me. It, I mean, it, it's hard for me to know if that's true. So like, I don't know. But from your perspective, for being me, in that room, it being was in that the room. rest. For me, that was a really big deal. And, you know, um, I, I spent the first 10 years of my career working with Vanessa Wise, the founding creative director yeah. of The Grid, and working on things unrelated to The Grid. And she can't go at, to any design conference without somebody being, oh, I miss The Grid. Right. Yeah. right. Um, so, That's legacy. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about mentorship because I, I really like the idea of mentorship and think it's kind of essential to a lot of creative careers. So she is your, you consider her a mentor, Vanessa Wise? Absolutely. Yeah. So how did that, um, I guess, other than working together, how did she mentor you? I mean, we're friends. Right. Um, we, so, okay. Mine and Vanessa's trajectory sort of follows my career trajectory. I'll do, I'll do the Coles notes version. Um, but the grid shuts down. I freelance for a bit. She freelances for a bit. 
she works on some much bigger projects than I did. We're having drinks one day and she says, Hey, I think I might need some help on this project I'm working on. Um, and I was like, okay, what is it? And she was like, well, I'm redesigning Chatelaine, like the oldest legacy women's <laughs> yeah. title. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> okay. And she was like, what are like, are, do you like what you're doing right now? And I was like, no, I'm bored. And she was like, okay, let's figure this out. And so, um, I went and, and helped her, supported her as she redesigned Chatelaine in 20, 2014, 2015. Um, wow. Which was a pretty cool experience. I'd never seen a redesign at that scale before. I, I don't, I like, I'm familiar with Chatelaine, um, as of now, but I don't think I remember what Chatelaine looked like before 2014. Okay. So it's this other moment in publishing in magazine land where, um, women's titles were kind of getting blown up all over the place. Um, so this idea, so Chatelaine had been really, really successful as a publication dedicated to kind of like, like home decor Mm -hmm. and, um, shoppable style recipes for sure is like in its DNA and has been since it launched a hundred years ago. Um, but this moment in like 20, 2014, 2015, 2016, both American and Canadian women's titles were like, I think women are interested in things like politics and sex and health. Maybe. Right. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we don't have the numbers on it yet. Yeah. So, um, and it was, you know, the editor in chief of, or the, I think she was the editorial director at that moment um, of Chatelaine was Leah George, who had been the editor in chief at the grid. Right. Um, which is a thing that happens often where folks bring in their own people to do things. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of what the redesign, it was moving towards being a lot more, right. Um, sort of current events, a broader, broader range of topics. So a lot of it was then, I guess, her bringing you into what she was working on and then working together on yeah, watching and learning and working together. Yeah. That form of mentorship. Absolutely. Yeah. Lots and lots of that. And then, you know, she left Chatelaine when her redesign was done. And uh, I stuck around as the deputy art director for a bit, uh, probably another year and a half, two years. Um, and then she built, while I was still at Chatelaine, she built her own design agency called Studio Wise. Um, and I joined her there as the art director for a handful of years, too. Wow. Yeah. Holy moly. What a yeah. career. What a duo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you guys should write a memoir. <laughs> Co-written memoir. I can ghostwrite it for you, actually. Can you? Oh, okay. Yeah. You won't writing get it anytime is not soon. my thing. <laughs> Sorry, Kate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll get it like two months after I <laughs> say that I'll deliver it. Yeah. Um, so then can we jump ahead to issues? Yeah. Um, what, where were you in your career uh, that you decided to sort of start this retail outlet? Okay. So I left Studio Wise in January of 2020. I was burnt out. And I had the, these grand plans to take a year off to travel, to go take some courses elsewhere in the world, to spend some time with some design pals elsewhere and sort of like figure out what the next 10 years of my career looked like. Right. Travel where, just for curiosity. Um, I really wanted to go do a type design program in either New York City or Paris. Mm. Um, and then I didn't have anything actually planned, which was to my benefit because the mm-hmm. universe decided no. yeah hard no <laughs> a hard hard no that um, sneaky universe yeah so I ended up spending most of 2020 teaching which was something I was doing um and picking up client projects here and there right um eventually through a colleague I worked with at Chatelaine because this industry is very small uh through a colleague I worked with at Chatelaine 
I ended up, um, joining best health magazine, which is, um, owned by Reader's Digest here in Canada Yeah, and, um, helping her redesign that publication. So she was the editor in chief and I came on board as the art director, which was like the most incredible part-time remote work contract <laughs> with all of your pals working yeah. on something really fun, um, that I could have asked for in a pandemic year. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that sounds great. Yeah. Just a casual redesign of, ma- of a magazine with, uh, people you like to work with. Yeah. Yeah. And so I still do that. Um, so I'm almost through our second year. Wow. Since the redesign, which is pretty cool. Um, but I sort of started thinking about like what it was I wanted to do next, mm-hmm. which is the intention of that sabbatical year. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I just didn't get to do any of the <laughs> fun soul searching <laughs> adjacent stuff. Right. I, get. I didn't get my eat, pray, love out of right. it. The pandemic was like soul search from your apartment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah from this tiny, tiny room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I opening an independent magazine store was something I'd always sort of dreamed of doing something I'd always put in that bucket of like, yeah, maybe eventually when the time's right. Yeah. Um, and I'd never really thought about it that seriously. Uh, and then on a whim, I emailed somebody and said, I think I want to do this. Um, they happened to own a, a very well established, a very well-known magazine store in London, England. Um, and he wrote back very quickly <laughs> to say, do it basically to say, do it. And, um, print is not dead. Let's get on zoom. And I will tell you everything I can tell you, uh, which is what happened. Wow. wow. And so all of a sudden I was like, Oh, I guess I have to do this. Mm. That's the Aries in me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I better do it. Yeah. I said it out loud. Now I have to. It's the universe setting things in motion for you. You're like, you didn't get your trip, but how about this? Yeah. Yeah. But they're like, this is the right thing to be doing. So he gave you all of his tips and tricks. Yeah. So Jeremy Leslie um, is the founder of Mag Culture, which has been a longtime independent magazine blog. Yeah. Um, out of based out of London, England. Um, and he opened the Mag Culture shop, I want to say seven years ago now. Um, and Jeremy just got on Zoom and spent an hour or so telling me as much as he could um, and connecting me to people that he thought would be helpful for me. Yeah. So I think I emailed him in April of 2021. So it took a year of pandemic depression, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. What do we call that? Yeah, I don't know. Depression sounds right. Um, before I sort of committed to it. And then uh, it took us another 18 months before we opened. And what was the process of opening like? Um, I had to learn a lot and ask a lot of dumb questions and feel really silly a whole lot. Um, I, I don't know anything about retail outside of the like cool skate shop I worked at in high school. Right. I have no, no understanding of it. Yeah. Um, so I just talked to a lot of people. Um, I talked to as many magazine shop owners from elsewhere in the world as I could sort of access from Mm. my network. Um, and I spent a lot of time looking at real estate, like so much time. That was the worst part. So Mm. were you looking all over the city? No, I drew a square sort of Bloor to um, Bathurst to Queen and Roncesvalles, yeah. mm-hmm. the furthest. But Dundas West, being on that Dundas strip, West strip between Lansdowne and Ossington was really my my dream, my goal. Yeah. It's where I wanted to be. And just for our listeners, you're at Dundas and Dufferin? Yeah. Yeah, right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you partnered with a design firm who did your interiors, right? Yeah. Because it's a beautiful shop. It's very like simple and beautifully yeah. made. I am. Um, I'm probably a bit of a weird founder in this way in that um, 
I'm so happy to pay people money to do the things I suck at. A hundred percent. That's the dream. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, And so it's like scary to spend your like capital, your seed money, um, but it's paid off every Mm -hmm. corner, every time I've Mm. made that decision. Yeah. So I don't know anything about interior design. I'm kind of terrible at it. I find it overwhelming. Yeah. Really overwhelming. Um, And then like commercial interior design, like retail. I don't know. Um, so I partnered with Company Company. So Rochelle LeBlanc's the founder of Company Company. And um, we have a bunch of mutual friends, but we actually met each other because she was being profiled in Design Lines magazine. And I was art directing that issue. So I was oh. on set to direct the photo shoot. And so we were in her workshop with her partner and the photographer and the editor in chief. And after the photo shoot, we were just chatting sort of noticing how many mutual friends we had talking about the projects. And for whatever reason, my project just like stumbled out of my mouth, <laughs> like could not control myself. Yeah, I told like three people in the world that it was happening at that point. Wow. And then her. Yeah. And she was like, we're in, we're on board. Let's do it. Yeah. That's another thing where you say one thing and then it just happens. That's right how place, you know right time. Yeah, you're, you're on the right path. Yeah. So she helped me with everything from like looking at empty spaces, figuring mm-hmm. out if they were worth how much money folks were asking for and right. like, what can we actually do in the space to designing and fabricating all of our furniture? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful space. Um, how do you feel about it now that, how long have you been open? Since July, we opened July 13th, 2022. So how is the dust settling? Is it everything you thought it was going to be? It's exceeded my expectations so far. Wow. Yeah. Um, which is kind of cool. We're in this really interesting moment right now where um, things are chugging along. I have, mm-hmm. I have staff. I don't have to be there all the time. Yeah. Um, magazines are coming and going properly. We're making enough money to pay our bills. Amazing. And so I have to figure out what the next, mm-hmm. like what's yeah. our next offering? What do people want? What's the next thing we should do and put our energy into? Were That's you, exciting times. Were you like surprised at all in terms of like your customer demographic of like who's coming in to buy a specific kind of magazine and like the age ranges or interests, interests yeah. and all that kind of stuff? I don't think I was surprised so much as just, I think I anticipated the bulk of our audience are the kind of our customers or the folks that I anticipated, right? They're like mm-hmm. the creative folks in their twenties and thirties, like, mm-hmm. yeah you know, looking for inspiration who want to have some of these things as like home decor and indicators of lifestyle and interest, but also like want to read them. Um, but I think just the sheer amount of people I had hoped for, but you sort of aren't sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no telling until yeah. you open. Cause there's no shop like yours in Toronto. No, there's no shop like ours in Canada right now. In Canada. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So one of our biggest opportunities, and I put zero energy into this so far, but it's <laughs> shipping across the country. Yeah. Um, because to pay to bring some of these publications into Canada is almost, the shipping costs are almost as much as the cover price of the title, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So there hasn't been anything like this in Canada for as long as I've been working in this industry. Wow. So maybe your next step is franchising across the country. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Seems I'm, like step two to yeah, me. Yeah. Step oh, two. You said it out loud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't say it. It still counts. <laughs> um, how is the uh shift in kind of not only being your own boss, but now being someone else's boss in this capacity been for you? Mm. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I quickly noticed that I didn't like having to be at the shop at a certain time every day. Mm. Like that flexibility of being a freelancer for so long meant that I didn't have to show up anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hired a second person. Mm-hmm. So I didn't you have to solve that problem. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, being my, I've been my own boss for a long time. And I think keeping that in perspective that I don't have to do everything myself mm-hmm. has been really helpful to me in like making sure I'm not one of those founders who literally works 24 seven. What was the second part of your question? Well, just like having people that, you, I'm sure you're used to being on a team, obviously, and having people report to you. But now yeah. it's like, this is your business that they're mm. reporting to you on. Like, does yeah. that change it at all? And how you feel about that? Not yet. I mean, Mitchell and Sabrina are like, they bring so much energy to the table. They care about the shop as much mm-hmm. as I do, which is so incredible. Um, again, I think, I think definitely at some point I will have to encounter some dynamics that are not ideal. Right. Um, but right now I have no, I have no complaints. Um, perfect it's amazing yeah Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite magazine right now is that like picking a child vogue i'm kidding (laughs) gq yeah (laughs) gq has been weirdly hot lately oh they put like um they put the f1 ferrari team on their cover a couple of issues ago and that went bananas and then um, they did a Brad Pitt cover that also sold like hotcakes. Anyways, and I so liked what they did during the pandemic with the like Robert Pattinson cover. And yeah, uh, they did one other, the like celebrities at home. I feel like they were, the Brad, they rebranded, right? The, I think they have, they've like, I don't know. I don't know if they have a new editor in chief, but it's like very more like, I don't know, a very less like suit and tie kind of mentality. Mm. It's more kind of like, this is the cool stuff to do now. But like yeah. the Brad Pitt one that you're talking about, is that the one where he like looked like he was dead for that whole photo shoot? Yeah. And he's like in a pool of flowers <laughs> yeah. on the yeah. cover and it's like really overly saturated. It's just his eyes. I really hated eyes that photo shoot. Weird yeah. on that. No, no, no. The one you're talking about where this face didn't match up. Um, that was a George Clooney cover of GQ. No, there's because like it's the Brad Pitt one, but he looks like he's like been embalmed. Like he oh, looks like he's yeah. like he's, pale. he's yeah. just pale and he's like floating in water and he looks like he's deceased. And they're like kind of <laughs> like laying him out to be like, the, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what yeah. the article was about, but like still, I was <laughs> just like, funeral process I was like, who is? said yes to this? We're uh, <laughs> setting this up like this. Well, so I, I think know. that's the really interesting thing is some of the conversations around the shop. So it's actually that photographer whose name I can't remember right now who did that series. That's their style. Yeah. Yeah. So that oversaturation yeah. of color, the sort of washing out of people's skin tones, that's their style. It was yeah. intentional. Yeah. No mistakes were made. Yeah. Give them a piece of your mind, Elliot. I will. Yeah. I'm going to give them a call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But isn't it fascinating how divisive some of those things are? Like yeah. how yeah. opinionated people can be about publications like, and art like that? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like when Miley Cyrus did that Vanity Fair cover a few years ago and everybody's really upset about it because they're like, you're sexualizing a teenager. But it was like, have you ever seen anything that there's ever? <laughs> Miley Cyrus has done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, well, the Vanity Fair was not the issue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, favorite publication? Okay. Do you have one? Um, I always, always, always love MacGuffin. Um, they're a publication that explores an inanimate object every issue. And- oh. Yeah, you had mentioned that to us when we came into the shop. They're just, um, it just seems like such a luxury to take like 250 pages to explore the desk or the trousers, Mm -hmm. uh, the chain right now. But it's so heavily researched. Um, So when you actually dive into it, there's so much to learn about this inanimate object. And I find the connnections that they make to be brilliant. Wow. I'm going to have to pick up an issue. You carry McGuffin? 
We do. We actually okay. have back issues right now. We have issue eight through 11. Okay. Oh, wow. yeah. I'll be in this weekend. Yeah. They're lovely. Um, what other faves? Oh, um, there's a graphic design journal out of um, Lebanon that I really like out of Beirut um, called Journal Safar and their newest issue just landed and uh, I haven't seen it yet. So I'm looking forward to flipping through that tomorrow. Cool. Yeah. I wanted to talk about some of your other side projects as well. Um, the Scaries. Yeah. Which um, I found when I was doing some research on you today, which is, um, I'll read the blurb. It's a collaboration between Leandra Chancy. Yeah, it would be Chanchi if you were saying it in Italian. Cianci. Cianci uh, and Nicola Hamilton exploring the emotional realities of making creative work and the emotional turmoil the process inflicts upon us. Um, Wow, something light. (laughs) Just really light. (laughs) But your Instagram is beautiful. The website is beautifully designed. How did you um, get this idea? Okay, so uh, I mentioned Leandra Cianci earlier because she was the designer who worked under me at The Grid. She's the one who doodled that like mm-hmm, the goodbye, the goodbye illustration. Yeah. yeah. So Lee and I worked together at the grid and became very, very fast friends. How else do you meet friends in your twenties? Right. <laughs> Work. Yeah. Um, we became really fast friends. And so Leandra actually worked in magazines as a designer for a long time before eventually leaving and following her like real passion, the thing that she wanted to do the most and become a freelance illustrator. Mm. And so she was a freelance illustrator. I'm designing and we both kept just like calling each other to complain and commiserate. We were both really burnt out um, working on client work. Like yeah. we found ourselves really resentful toward clients, clients that we'd like worked with for half a second, right? Mm-hmm. That we didn't, there's no yeah. reason we should be resentful towards Very them Very familiar with that. Yeah. <laughs> Trajectory. Yeah. So we were just really burnt out. And so we sort of set out to, to try and fix that for mm. ourselves to resolve it somehow. And we talked to a whole bunch of people about how we might get around it. And the sort of best piece of advice was to like, get out of your head, get away from your computer, go do something creative just for you. Um, and we decided to learn a skill that we both really wanted to learn, but had never done before. So we took a screen printing class together and then we just didn't want to stop. Like we just kept screen printing. We rented our own studio space. We spent a day a week together, screen printing, painting, drawing, and it was so much fun. And, um, we'd kept a journal, like a shared iPhone notes to each other throughout the process. Um, a really smart, writer friend of ours had said like, Hey, you might want to like journal this, like this might be something that would be beneficial to like look back on in hindsight. And so we kept this sort of shared note back and forth to each other that actually just became us amping each other up. Like, Mm. you know, I would go in there and be like, I'm actually feeling really anxious about this week. And I don't know that I want to do it and go because I don't feel good enough. And Leander would be like, bullshit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You are good enough. Yeah. Um, and so the scariest kind of became this, we, we made all of this work. We had all of this work. And there was this moment where we were like, I think we should show this work. And then we were like, okay, but why are we showing this work? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's sort of where that shared journal came in. So some of our, the scariest to us are those like pieces of negative self-talk that you, the things you say to yourself that stop you from actually making work, making stuff. Um, so we started sharing some of those. Yeah. And did you get a lot of like, cause it feel, feels very like commute, like you're building a community with this. Is that what happened? That's what happened. That wasn't intentional. That, that was just incidental. People just, just responded. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we started sharing the work and our like negative self-talk. So like things like, uh, I'm too sensitive for feedback. That's one of Leandra's regular, regular thoughts. And, and I'm not good enough or why would anyone care what I have to say? We started sharing some of those things, um, to sort of 
share and explain this gallery show we were putting on. Um, and, uh, and people responded to yeah. that. And then actually at the gallery show, we put up a, like a tell us your scaries. The sort of conceit of the show was this idea of like moving away from commercial work, trying to reconnect with your own sort of creative process, your own creative aesthetic, um, and exploring the reasons that you actually don't follow those instincts on the right. day to day. And for Leander and I, those were the sort of negative things we said to ourselves quietly, constantly. Um, and we put up a wall and asked people to tell us their scaries. And we thought like, we were like, okay, after this opening party, we're just gonna have to take down so many drawings of dicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we was like, we're like, oh, like our friends are great, but are they? <laughs> but are they gonna really grab onto this? And they did. It was wild. We took mm. nothing off that wall and it was full. Like a like, I don't know, like six feet by four feet. Of dicks? <laughs> yes. <laughs> of other people's like most vulnerable thoughts. Wow. It was so wild. I remember talking to my therapist about it after the show and I was like I just can't believe that people showed up in this way. And she was like of course she did. Like you and Leander were so vulnerable in sharing mm -hmm. that work that of course, of course they showed up that way. Yeah. You created the space and people met the challenge. Yeah. Um, and so we learned that in real time. Like we did wow. not realize that that's what we were doing. Um, and so then it's grown from there. We've continued to share it. Um, we have this spreadsheet on our website um, that is the void. We encourage people to just go, go to the scariestproject.com and, and tell us your negative, your negative thoughts. Yeah. Um, send them into the void. It's anonymous. And hopefully by saying them out loud, typing them, sending them to someone else, they you like, can let it go a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. They don't weigh on you. I also really like, uh, the newsletter had, um, like a challenge an October challenge where you worked, you made your own something creative every day, but the parameters that you created or the sort of tips of how to actually make something each day were simple, but like really, uh, I don't know. I just, I loved it because there were things like, um, make sure you have like a desk with your materials there. So like, that's not something that's preventing you from starting your work or like pick yeah. a time of day. That's, uh, when you're most creative and like work within when you know you're your best self. I just thought those tips are like simple and great. Yeah. I mean, those are things that we, again, by collaborating with Landra as much as I have, um, and we've done a couple of those projects together where we just spend 30 days making every single day with like no real purpose other than to yeah. make stuff, yeah. which I think is the best way to get out of any kind of creative rut yes. um, is to make stuff that you like don't have any sort of preconceived notions of how it's supposed to turn out. Um, and when we did our original screen print series together, we set ourselves some parameters that would like sort of help us avoid some of the situations we knew we'd find ourselves in. So stuff like we're going to meet at the same time every day at the space and or same time every week and, and do this. And we're going to pass these things back and forth so that they don't belong to, which is a important part of how Leander and I work. Um, one of us will add a layer and pass it to the other and then they'll layer on top of it. Sometimes we go back and forth a few times. Sometimes it's just once each, um, but it means that neither piece belongs to either of us. I like that so much. Right? That's so nice. Which is sort of like working when you're working in sort of commercial creative fields, you're working with a team, right? Mm -hmm. So like you're doing your best in this moment you pass it off to the next step in the process and they make it so much better. Hopefully. I, yeah, I think collaboration only makes it better. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'm a fan of the scaries. It inspired me as someone who's like, uh, deeply fearful of starting anything and has a huge procrastination problem. I like, I appreciated it. Yeah. It's been on hiatus 
since like 2021, I think was our last post. Yeah. Because uh, I opened issues and uh, Leandra grew a human. So you guys have been a little busy. We've been busy. Yeah. But we, it's funny, we were just together earlier this week and um, both kind of looked at each other and we we're like, hey, then maybe time soon. I would say if you need to, if you're looking for my answer, the answer is yes. yes. Sounds okay. like you'd have like a whole new round of scaries now with these yeah. new phases. Yeah. yeah. New projects, new scaries. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be really interesting. And it'll be interesting to see how much of the community is there like mm-hmm. a year and a half after. Yeah. We'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> we what's, will. What's scarier, a baby or a business? Oh my God. It's a great question. Uh, to Leandra, probably a business. And to me, probably a baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever you you're not dealing with. Yeah. yeah. Whatever's not your reality. Okay. <laughs> um, to finish off, um, we're a very Toronto proud podcast. And I just wanted yeah. to ask you some Toronto uh, questions. Okay. Sir Toronto faves. Um, do you have a favorite breakfast spot? Oh, okay. So saving grace on Dundas, but it's like impossible to get into. Horrible to get a spot there. Yeah. Right. But it's the best. Just wait it out. I don't yeah. think I've ever Go actually gone there because it's always too long. I'm always too Yeah. Late. I might not have. I don't think I've ever met in. It's, worth, it's it. worth it. Okay. It's worth it. Um, best Sunday activity. Coffee and magazines. Obviously. No, for real though. Like, uh, I love nothing more than, than getting a coffee at one of my favorite coffee shops and doing the like neighborhood wander. It's my fave. That might be my favorite Sunday activity. I thought you were going to say, uh, waiting for saving grace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You missed no, that. I only go there on like a Thursday morning. Yeah. <laughs> like Get two, it in the middle of the week. Yeah. Or 2 PM on a Friday. Yeah. Even that might be dicey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're already lighting up for Saturday morning. <laughs> Uh, favorite bar. Ooh. Um, I've been frequenting grape witches a lot. Also on Dundas West, not so much like a bar, I guess, as a wine store that you can get glasses from, but I yeah. think what they're doing is very, very cool. I didn't know you can get glasses from them now. Yeah. Yeah. Could yeah. you always, I guess I, the peak p- pandemic now. Yeah. Yeah. The pandemic like made things all weird. Yeah. Um, so they had a front patio for the summer. They had this incredible back patio. So Rochelle and company company who designed the issue space also did the grape witches space, oh, cool. um, including fabricating an incredible fountain in their back patio. I have never seen the back patio. I'll so have good. to go in. But it was closed this year because they had to like reapply for a liquor license on the mm. other side of the <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. yeah. I love bureaucracy. Um, so grape witches. Yeah. That'd be my and they're, that's they're all natural wines, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, best place to read a magazine? Ooh, in a park under a tree. Any park in particular? No, I'm park agnostic. It depends that's on the day, nice. right? Like mm. on a Saturday afternoon, I'm not going to Trinity Bellwoods that's on a Wednesday morning. Crazy. Probably. That's so true. Time and place really matters. Yeah. Um, and then the last one is Toronto. Like, if you were in Toronto for your birthday, what are you doing? What's a great birthday activity? Um, okay, so my favorite birthday activity, I'm, I'm an Aries, I'm a big fan of a birthday party. <laughs> um, my favorite birthday activity is to make all of my friends, because uh, it's almost always an ice storm or snowing. My birthday is in April. Um, it's like that last snowstorm, right? always. When people think winter's over and it's no, not. It's not. Um, but to make all of my friends come meet me at some like unassuming bar somewhere. Um, so I dig Loveless for that a lot. Oh, Maggie, who's not here, loves Loveless. That's her favorite spot, I think, yeah. right now. Just so low key. So yeah. great. Okay, great. I have one more oh, question yeah, just before we wrap up. Uh, as a designer, um, 
do you have like a favorite um, design word to kind of like flex your design muscles to like, if you can successfully and naturally put it into a, a sentence? Like if I could ever pull off saying kerning in a sentence, uh, my day would be made. Oh my God. I use kerning so often. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I teach the first year typography. All we do is talk, talk about, about kerning. Just kern. Uh, just kern. <laughs> Their favorite are like the badly current packages that I show as examples because they're almost always dirty jokes. What is Do you kerning? guys know what kerning is? No. I don't know what kerning is. <laughs> I feel really left out. Do you want it to know? No, no, you're the teacher. Please. Uh, so kerning is the spatial relationship between two letters. Got it. Um, so designers will often go in and fix the space between two letters. So if you've ever seen something where two letters in a word look too close or too far apart. Mm -hmm. um, those would be kerning pairs and a designer would go in and actively kern them. Like the O and the E and oof. Sometimes yeah, often round letters. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes mm. the O and the E are too yeah. close together. It's confusing. Yeah. Um, go That's find, true. go to Reddit and look up bad kerning. <laughs> the examples are pretty incredible, but these things make it out into the world. Um, yeah. A design word. No, I mean, I think one of the things about me in, in some of these like realms of influence that I find myself in is that I'm really bad at using buzzwords or like big proper words. Mm -hmm. uh, I often find I'm more casual than maybe people expect me to be. I like that a lot. I think I, big word, I like, if you can use a lingo, that's great, but often you just want to have Real talk, like plain yeah. speak. Ooh, I do have a like typography fact that I like knowing. Do you want that one? Yeah. Okay, so do you know why they're called upper and lowercase letters? No. Okay, so way back um, when type was was carved out of wood or metal, the cabinets that they would go in, the lowercase letters would go in the lower drawers of the cabinet <sighs> and the uppercase letters would go in the higher oh, drawers no, I, of the cabinet. I did hear that. There was on like a Stephen Fry thing that he talked about <laughs> like a WordPress or like like the letter, biggest letter digital press. letter press. Yeah, yeah. the letter yeah. press. Yeah. That's, That's so a great weird. fact. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And did you know they started making um, the very first book ever printed on a letter press, a movable type press is a Bible. Yeah. All books came. We were From able to print Bible. books because mm -hmm. they needed mm -hmm. to print the Bible more affordably. Oh, they, the church found out they could make money by giving out some pieces of paper. Yeah. So they're like, let's get this going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, like it is often weird as a big sort of design nerd to find yourself in spaces where um, you're like, ooh, a Gutenberg press. And you're like <laughs> flipping through a Bible as the thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, ah, this beautiful specimen of yeah. art. I yeah. know what kerning is because of God. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. This was great to chat with you. And um, if anyone wants to go to Issues, what's the exact address on Dundas? Yes, we're at 1489 Dundas Street West. So Dundas and Dufferin's the closest intersection. It's a great spot. Yeah. And you have an Instagram and a website. And Yeah, we, uh, we ship across the country. We have the exact same in inventory on our website as we have in the shop. Um, that's IssuesMagShop.com. And then we're on Instagram at IssuesMagShop.com check them out yeah check them out thank you no thank you this was so fun as always please send her some love follow her on instagram go visit her store and as always thank you for stopping by <laughs>